Welcome to Prose Tinted Glasses. I'm Katie. And I'm Bailey. And we're talking about I Kissed Shara Wheeler today. Which I um, didn't ever attempt to pronounce Shara in my brain until I listened to the audiobook. And so the whole time I was thinking it was just a non-American spelling of Sarah or something. <laughs> Is that what you thought? when you When you messaged that you had been pronouncing it wrong. I was so curious as to how you had been pronouncing it. Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Right. But like looking at it, it's very clearly Shara. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those where you just kind of muddle your way through a word when you're reading because it's not important if you're not hearing it. Yeah. It, I know you've sent me that TikTok for like fantasy where it's just like, and blah, 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 was going to blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, I identify deeply with that. There is like a buzzing interference sound. It's gone now and it doesn't appear to have shown up on my recording. So. Okay. I don't think it's on my recording, but I think, um, there was like a light like buzz or hum in the background, but when I did noise reduction on OS, it's like Okay. Away. We'll just have to deal with it. Hopefully it's not on there. We could just do a quick notice that if my audio sounds a little worse than usual it's because i had to buy a new microphone i had an event in my apartment where water poured from the ceiling onto my computer and microphone during a rainstorm so i had to pay to have my computer totally rebuilt and i bought a new microphone so we'll see how it goes this is this is the test run we are dealing with some pretty strong technical issues i mean this is like the this is Tuesday, June 14th, two days before the episode is going to come out because we've been trying to wait on these technical difficulties to get this recorded last minute. So, you know, if it's rough, it's rough, um, but we're here. Yeah, we're, we're committed. We're committed to getting you, our, our small army of listeners, episodes. On time. Even at the very last minute. <laughs> Just two girls who find deadlines to be extremely stressful and motivating, despite the fact that they mean nothing. Yeah. It's like, we are the ones who put the deadlines on ourselves, but by God, we're going to stick to them. Yes, we are. <laughs> so, um, speaking of high-strung people who are always trying to uh, get things done intensely in school, <laughs> back to Shara Wheeler. It's not Shara, yeah, by really... the way. It's Chloe. Yeah, you're right. It is Chloe. I mean, I think it's also Shara, but Chloe is the protagonist. And by the way, spoilers for I Kissed Shara Wheeler, if you have not yet read it. Yes. Um, as always, we will be talking about the whole book because we read the whole book. So if you have not read it and you don't want spoilers, um, go read Casey McQuiston's first YA novel. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because I was so excited when she first announced it. So Casey McQuiston, as I'm sure you're all aware, is the author of Red, White, and Royal Blue, and also One Last Stop. They are one of our faves. 
and I Kissed Shara Wheeler. Their first two books were more in the new adult space, and then I Kissed Shara Wheeler is a bona fide YA romance. Yes, and it definitely lands as a YA romance. I mean, the... Mm -hmm. The hallmarks, and not in a bad way, of it being YA are definitely there, and the um, romance level is appropriate for a YA instead of a new adult romance. Uh, this is definitely not like an explicit book. There are older themes, like uh, it's not like conservative. That's not what I'm trying to say. There's, it's not dancing around the fact that teens like party or hook up. It's just not as explicit as like her as the new adult books. Cool. So do we want to dive into one of our, our patented, extremely good recaps? Yeah, I'm really excited for this one as we have not um, typed up a recap to go over as we often do in an attempt to keep ourselves on track. We're just going to be doing this one off the cuff. So I do. I have a little bit of hope because I I meant to reread it before recording and I didn't have a chance. So I have read this recently. I read it last month, but it's been long enough ago and my brain is Swiss cheese enough that I uh, I think I'm only going to be able to remember like the main points and not get too bogged down by the details. Which might be nice because a lot of my like discussion points are details, so we'll get to them anyway. So... I'm I'm going to give you the floor here and we'll see how it goes. Okay, we're going to do my best. So the protagonist of the book is named Chloe Green and she is an overachieving high school student who is locked in a battle for valedictorian basically with Shara Wheeler. And at the time that the novel starts, like Recently, like a couple of weeks ago or a week ago or something like that, Shara Wheeler like cornered her and kissed her and then like ran off and it has left Chloe like reeling. Like she thought it was so weird, so confusing and uh, she kind of liked it and she doesn't know what to feel about that because she's never like thought about Shara that way. And then Shara disappears and it's about a month before graduation and Chloe is really, like, annoyed and confused because she doesn't know how to feel about the kiss. And she also, there's this whole tangent about how she only wants to win valedictorian if she, like, wins fair and square. So she's determined to bring Shara back so that Shara can lose to her in a dignified way as opposed to just, like, giving up and running out. So she also finds out that Shara also kissed her neighbor um Rory who is like this rebellious character who has been in love with Shara his whole life and then her boyfriend Smith and Shara like left envelopes with cryptic clues for the three of them so Chloe sort of bands the three of them together and they start following the clues to search for Shara yes and Shara finds out that uh, Rory was also, or sorry, Chloe finds out that Shara also kissed Rory when uh, Shara, uh, dang it, I am mixing them up, when Chloe breaks into Shara's room and Rory also does and they're like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they find clues that way and then Smith is like a jock, but he's a really nice jock 
and he is just kind of having fun being along for the ride. I don't know. Do we want to get do we want to get into more of like what happens or do we want to just give leave it um, at no, I think overview? I think we can just summarize it as like they follow this trail of like cryptic clues and oftentimes these little like pink stationary notes is addressed to the whole group but very specifically calls out like a memory or an event with one of them and then has a postscript that is mostly indicative of like the next clue. And so the three of them get into various shenanigans like breaking into the principal's office and like driving around trying to find the rest of these clues because they're like determined to to find Shara and the principal who by the way is Shara's dad is like very weird and unconcerned he's like oh she's visiting family oh she's doing this like the rumor mill is spinning at the school and like the school is um like a religious school it's very conservative they like can't paint their nails or like dye their hair etc so then um finally it kind of clicks for shara after dang it it clicks for chloe Chloe, um that where shara is but not before chloe has kind of like forgotten to um, maintain any relationship with like her actual friends or complete her schoolwork and all of this but she does go find shara on a boat, on her, like, parents' boat, where she's just, like, hiding, and her parents, like, totally know this. hmm And the- Shara and Chloe have this conversation, and Chloe's like, this all means you love me, and Shara's like, no, you're insane. This is because I needed to get out of here. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. But then Shara comes back to school, and they, like, become friends, I guess, and start dating, I guess. <laughs> tell me how you really feel yeah i'm trying not to editorialize it but it, it's happening as usual um i don't know i feel like we've gotten to the to the end sufficiently that we can editorialize a little bit i definitely i thought it was a very funny kind of twist when chloe was confronting shara and being like you're totally obsessed with me and it's really weird that you would do this because you love me so much and then Shara is like, are you kidding me? I literally just wanted to throw you off your game so that I could win valedictorian. Which was what Chloe had thought from the outset. She thought that Shara was just being like crazy and trying to make her obsessed. But then as she picked up on the clues that were left, she really thought it was more that Shara was in love with her. And the answer ended up being both, right? Like, Shara thought that she was doing it just to torture Chloe, but... She definitely turned out to also have been in love with her. Right. That's definitely a point I wanted to talk about. Um, In the end of the the book, Chloe's friend is caught kissing another girl and Chloe goes in and says it's her because Chloe's kind of already like the notoriously bad kid on campus. She gets banned from graduation, but there's an admissions scandal that the um, principal is involved in. And so they decide to have like a alternate graduation with like the press and stuff and there's all the fallout from this admissions scandal and blah 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 everybody is going on their own way to like continue growing and discovering themselves yeah wow the more that you kept going with the summary the more i realized i had already forgotten about the book (laughs) that's okay we'll we'll do our best here this will be an interesting change of pace because normally it's me that's like complete sieve brain about something i read (laughs) and didn't have time to reread so 
Yeah, no, the only reason that I normally have answers is because I normally have just reread something. Or right. else I would or else I would be acting like I am today, which is like what happened? Those things happened. I mean, there's obviously a lot more details in there. It's actually a pretty action packed book. It is YA, so it tends to be like very plot heavy in terms of things mm-hmm. happening, and that's definitely true here as they race around in this unlikely team of three trying to solve clues. Um, from someone they're all connected to in different ways. But it also, it does have character growth on a level that I thought was pretty well developed. Uh, on that note, do you want to kind of get into broad overview thoughts about I Kissed Shara Wheeler? Yeah, I had just a total blast reading this. I remember that very clearly. And I'm actually, I'm trying to scroll back far enough in our Twitter message to figure out, to find the times when I was messaging you about it before you had read it i don't think i'm gonna find it because we talk too much for that we talk way too much but i just remember just having a blast and like messaging bailey a couple of things that happened that i thought were very fun and funny and you know obviously we love casey mcquiston their first two novels rock and I think that this did a really good job of taking that style and sort of not just like distilling sounds bad. Like it's not, it doesn't feel watered down. It just feels aimed more at a younger audience. I guess I would say they did a really good job. Yeah. Reshaped into a young adult novel. Definitely. I also think that something fun that I've noticed is that red, white and Royal blue, right. Was, largely romance centric right like there was a political subject subplot but the main text of the book was the romance and then in one last stop definitely was still primarily romance but there was a lot more going on in terms of like discovering this supernatural plot line and like sort of examining that and i feel like shara wheeler is the natural evolution where the romance it's not, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's an afterthought, but I would say that it doesn't feel like the main plot of the book. And there's so much else going on that I think it makes it feel like a really full world with really full characters. Yes. I mean, the romance is there, but especially given that the the two characters aren't together for a majority of the novel, um, it's a different kind of romance than the uh, than their other books. And it's definitely a good level like i said there's a lot of like plot happenings but there's also a lot of character development individually so i i really liked this book i also thought it was very fun it's well known that you know i like reading ya still although i tend more towards the fantasy this was still like very fun um it was sort of like a thriller i've read some ya thrillers that take place in schools like ace of spades obviously um mm-hmm. there was like one other one that I'm blanking on the name right now and this was in that vein but with a romantic twist instead of with a more thriller twist where it's like they're still chasing around answers but th- there's not a level of like danger per se because mm-hmm. there's it's it's leading towards romance instead of of danger um so I really liked it I do have some thoughts on some of the elements of the story but overall, I think it's really enjoyable, and I think everybody should read it. Yeah, 100%. I'm I'm also very excited to hear 
some of your thoughts because what else do we have a podcast for? I did manage to find one of the messages I sent you about Shara Wheeler on May 19th. There's a fun thread in Shara Wheeler about a jock who tried out for the play and got the lead and everyone thought he did it as like a joke, but actually he just really fucking loved musicals. Yes. I really liked that plot I point. really enjoyed that too. They even like call out that it's like a high school musical like tro- uh, joke, don't they? Or did I think that in my brain? I think they actually call it out. Mm-hmm, I think so. So I, I really like that too. And how serious, like you get a little glimpse in the flashback of like Shara helping him like get ready for tryouts and she's like why do you even want to do this he's like i actually really want this part so i'm like actually really stressed that i'm not going to be good enough mm-hmm. i think maybe it's time to dive into some thoughts i didn't have time to transfer them to the outline which is fine because that means that you get to be completely surprised by them they're in a note Love on my phone um, i'm not the best at keeping track of my thoughts as this was as books are going but i was like you really need to start doing that so these were all taken in real time into my notes app. Excellent. Uh, my first comment was, this obsession is a lot. And by that, I mean, like, I did not fully get the depth of the obsession that Chloe had with finding Shara. In the beginning, it just mm-hmm. felt really tenuous that, like, she- Chloe would go break into Shara's house because she wanted to win Victorian. Yeah, it was very odd. It's just too much um, to be, I don't know, it it settled down like a little bit, obviously, and then it got into like, you're so in love with me, um, which I think is, is part of what she goes through. It's part of what teenagers do. It's a very self-centered view of everything. Um, but mm-hmm. I just like, the obsession was maybe just a little unbelievable for me. Yeah. I would agree with that. I don't know. Um, I also asked if this was a commentary on teenagers or manic pixie dream girl tropes. Still have not decided. Mm-hmm. And we do, we have some more to get into there a little bit later. Yes. Kind of um, comparing this book to Paper Towns, which I'm excited to get to, but I'm more excited to hear the rest of Bailey's thoughts first. Um, speaking of Paper Towns, one of the notes I made is that this book was full of pop culture references which isn't a surprise given that casey wrote it they are well known Mm -hmm. for including uh references in their novels but there's like a john green plug which paper towns obviously john green there's like um are we going for lana del rey romanticism comment and i was like oh yes that hits born to die hits different (laughs) um there is the emotional support water bottle comment so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they're really on top of their pop culture references, too, because this can't the the editing process isn't instantaneous. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which I like pop culture references. I know that there's like a big argument that people have about how like it ages a book and we can kind of see um, that with something like Gossip Girl, which was so heavy handed with like fashion references and materialism references to the early 2000s when they were written but at the same time like things are just sometimes ephemeral and either you read them or you uh, and you're like oh this was a thing from the time or you don't it's the only like people are still gonna know who john green is like he's not gonna suddenly become unpublished probably like people are still gonna know who lana del rey is it's just gonna be different now emotional support water bottle might be like a little harder to describe but 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, I don't know, I, I think people have a really strange view on pop culture references in other media. Like, not to bring things back to Taylor Swift, only, you know, me, so of course we're going to. Right. But one of the lo- the lines in her song, The Lakes, which is the bonus track on Folklore, is, I grew up, hang on, I'm gonna have to actually find it. A red rose grew up out of ice frozen ground with no one around to tweet it. And people fucking hate that line because they're like, oh, this song is so ephemeral and, you know, dreamy. And then just to throw Twitter in the middle of it ruins it. And I don't agree. And I think that's a really weird take that, like, media has to be timeless or else it doesn't have value first of all. And I also think that, like you were saying, Bailey, having references doesn't necessarily make it untimeless. It just, you know, it they may not be as relevant now as they would be 30 years from now or as they were 30 years ago. But like you said, people are still going to know who Lana Del Rey is. Like John Green is still going to have books that are that are hugely popular. I don't know. I think it's a very weird hang up i guess it is because like we haven't done an episode on this yet but it's one of those ideas we have like floating in the pool of ideas on the difference between like um like historical fiction and a period piece and things like like jane austen um you could put the same story in any time and it would make sense but there are still very much timely references like they talk about writing letters they take horses places like oh my God, we take cars now. How could they talk about horses? That That's so old. Like, that's not how you react to reading a classic where they mm-hmm. travel by horse. So it doesn't matter necess- in the grand scheme of things if you have these like references that do date it. At some point, it just becomes part of that story. Um, and the thing with the Taylor Swift is like, Twitter's been around for a while. It is a huge piece of communication tool. This is not like some obscure thing that nobody uses after like a three-year period it's not like like you know yik yak or something that like had an up and down that was you know huge and then nothing twitter Mm -hmm. is is at this point not going anywhere yeah in whatever iteration it takes its impact on culture is too strong that doesn't make it unrelatable or ephemeral um so i think that it's fine i think it's clever when you work something in and it also especially for a YA novel, makes it like so relatable and fun for younger audiences to read. They're like, oh my gosh, look, like this character is like us. For sure. Has silly TikTok jokes. I also think they did a really good job of making it feel like it doesn't feel like some boomer trying to like use Gen Z language, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can always tell when an advertisement was written by boomers and i just checked casey newquiston's actually 31 which i didn't realize that they were that close to our age so right that is great um but so they're a little bit out of the gen gen z sphere you know but they're still connected enough genuinely with that community that it feels correct for them to be using that kind of language and it feels natural it's like obviously i've used emotional support water bottle before um Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a fine line, but they seem to walk it pretty well. Um, and 
I don't have a problem with it. We just went on a rant about something I really didn't expect to be like a big piece of, of this episode. Um, one of the, <laughs> I think one of the other things that I put in here that was like um, a slight pop culture re- pop culture reference. There's a scene where um, Chloe talks about how students use Google Docs to get around not being allowed to have their phones by like collaborating in a Google Doc with each other so they can chat and then just deleting the doc if the teacher like comes up and sees it on their laptop. And I just want to say that in college, I 100% used Google Docs collaboration to like chat with people. That's so funny. I'm pretty sure I haven't even deleted the document at this point because I like now I'm like this is a fun memory that I want to keep forever. That feels like that feels like the high tech version of uh in seventh grade, my friends and I had a notebook that we would physically pass around and like have a running conversation. So like I would have the notebook in third period and I'd get it back at in seventh period or whatever. It's so funny how, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, yes. I guess. Okay. I definitely had a notebook in high school with my friends. Um, and then it was actually with our friend Kelly that I had this Google Doc. Um, you can see that whatever the last conversation we had was like pretty small. It was like, I can't figure out this problem. <laughs> Physics question mark. <laughs> oh, I love that. So. Um, yeah, that was just the one thing that I also found was funny and relatable. And maybe it's because Casey is like near my age and had that too. Uh, but moving towards like actually things about this book. Um, I, I'm i just going to jump into it. I really do feel like there's shades of paper towns here. And I think a lot of the things that I want to talk about relate back to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Katie, you... You put the quote in in here, of course, Shara gave her this instead of an explanation. Of course, Shara saw herself as the main character of her own John Green novel. And it's true. And when we say it's got shades of paper towns, we mean that there's like very similar aspects, but I don't think that it's particularly like an homage to paper towns or anything. There's just a lot of parallels that can be drawn between these stories. Yeah, the very first message that I sent to Bailey, which I scrolled up far enough to find, was I'm one chapter into I Kissed Char Wheeler. Early vibes are very bisexual paper towns, which I am into. And I just reread Paper Towns this week in preparation to talk about this. And I definitely stand by that and almost feel even more strongly about it. They're definitely not... Um, it's... Like Bailey was saying, it's not like a direct homage. It's certainly not anything like a ripoff, but it, it's very, I would say, influenced by and inspired by Paper Towns. Yes. Where if you're not familiar with Paper Towns, uh, it is a novel by John Green, and it is about this boy, Quentin, who is obsessed with his next door neighbor, Margot Roth Spiegelman, and he has totally mythologized her into like, the prototypical manic pixie dream girl. And she disappears a, a month before graduation. And he, she has left clues for Quentin, and he thinks that they're clues that she wants him to follow to find her. And so he is obsessed with it. It's all he thinks about for the entire book. He draws his friends into it. And it all kind of culminates in this road trip they like skip graduation to go on this road trip to find Margot because they 
think that they have found her. And they get there, and Margot's like, what the fuck are you guys doing here? And Quentin's like, well, you left me all these clues, and, like, you wanted me to find you. And she's like, you really read into that what you wanted to read into it. And actually, sort of the whole book, Quentin is kind of coming to terms with the fact that his version of Margot is not the same version as that other people see when they look at Margot, and really that none of them match who Margot actually is. And so it's this sort of wholesale deconstruction of Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And I think that the obsession, the clues, the search, the month before graduation, and then also this like reckoning that the person that you've been obsessing over are is totally different than the person you thought they were. Uh, are all very similar between the two books. Yeah, I tried very hard not to like think actively about Paper Towns while I was listening because I didn't want to go into it being like, oh my gosh, it's like Paper Towns. But like reading over some of my my observations, there are some things that I'm saying without intending that are that could apply to Paper Towns. Like, uh, I think this is a quote: "She's a person, not an idea, but an idea." can't want you back and I'm starting to think that's the point and I feel like that is very paper towns that's where Quentin finally ends up is that like he has an idea of her name whatever it I haven't read paper towns in a long time so I'm struggling um but like Chloe's got this idea and her idea does change throughout the book because at first it's like she's just um you know, my competition for Valley Victorian and she ran off and I want her to come back and win Parent Square instead of like giving up. And then it's like, oh my gosh, she's obsessed with me. She's in love with me. All of these moments that we had together, I'm thinking back and reframing about her being in love with me. And then when she does finally catch up with Shara, she's like, okay, fine. Maybe you weren't. But then when they actually start like dating, it's they're realizing each other are real people. Yeah. It's almost in some ways, like a reverse of Paper Towns because Margot doesn't view Shara as this like otherworldly perfect object of her affections at first. She almost views her completely the opposite as like a demon. She hates Shara Wheeler at first and throughout the book she learns of things that Shara did that were really good like helping her friend, gosh which friend tried out for the play, Ace? I think so. Like, helping Ace practice for the musical, uh, but then asking him not to tell anyone. Or I feel like there were a couple of other instances of her doing something really good and and Chloe just being like, what? That can't be real. Like, that can't be Shara. Shara's like a bitch. And then also sort of funnily, so she deconstructs this vision she has of Shara and then kind of reconstructs it at the end when Shara's like, no, I totally am a total bitch. Um, but then both Shara and Chloe have to sort of figure out the middle ground of like who Shara is as a person when she's not putting on this performance. Which I think is very, very in teenager. And I one of the mm-hmm. things I wanted to say that Casey did really well in this book is I think that they were able to really portray the inner turmoil and self-importance of like being a teen. Mm-hmm. how it's how it is just a bunch of putting on airs and trying to figure out which one is you um there were a couple moments uh there was uh when chloe had that like breakdown 
to one of her moms about how she was like, why is everything so hard? Why does it have to be me? That just felt so real. She, you know, Chloe was out doing 10,000 million things. She's going a thousand miles a minute and she comes home and just has this complete breakdown. And it's just very, I felt like that was very real of like, she thought she was upset over something else. But when she started crying, it was really actually that she was upset about, you know, this thing. That was one moment that stood out to me as very real for being a teen. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, I also did learn a new term in this book. Ooh, I love new terms. What did you learn? Lavender marriage. Oh, you didn't know that term? No, so I, I guess I knew, like, variations on that term, but not actually lavender marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's a male female marriage to conceal like sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I knew that concept existed, and I'm pretty sure there are other words for similar ones. But I didn't I hadn't heard it until it was used to describe Smith and Shara. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that they pulled that into the novel, and I think I bet that a lot of Gen Z kids were not aware of that, and I bet that that's going to open a whole lot of history to them. Although I think I'm I'm starting to become a little bit guilty of infantilizing Gen Z. Like they're a lot of them have graduated college now. They're not they're not just children anymore. So sorry to any Gen Zers. I know that you're becoming adults now. Yeah, I, it's hard though because I, get, I mean I hadn't learned about it. And I'm solidly a millennial, so I guess you know I, it just depends on some of your exposure. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. And I also want to say that I actually thought that Smith's journey in this book was the most interesting thing about it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. First of all, I just want to kind of detour before we get into Smith too Sorry. Um, heavily. No, no, no. It's all related. But just the LGBTQIA plus rep in this book in general was fantastic. You know, Chloe has two lesbian moms. Um and is openly bisexual, and there are lots of people that are in various stages of discovering themselves, which I think is very authentic to high school, and none of it is portrayed as, like, traumatic, you know? Smith, coming back to that, is, I think, sort of the most coming out story, and it feels very authentic of this guy who's a huge jock who has just never really considered any path other than being you know a male football player Mm -hmm. and there were so many times when he just made offhand comments of well like flat like i like flowers in my hair but i'm a boy or whatever you know it just felt very sweet and very interesting to watch yeah i unfold i have a note that is in all capitals is smith envy Mm-hmm. Uh, because when he's going through this with Georgia, like the questions that Georgia asks Smith when they were trying to get to the bottom of, of you know, how Smith felt, I thought were so sensitive and inquisitive without being um, direct. So it was a way to make you question what you're thinking without, you know, just straight up saying, well, are you non-binary? Because that can be a much harder question to answer than some of the things that Georgia asked Smith. And mm-hmm. I thought it was very well written. And not that like any fiction novel should be like a resource, 
but like a great place to look for your own journey or if you have a friends who might be doing some introspection and, and questioning what they want. I really just felt that that was well done and it, it made me smile. I agree a thousand percent. It was handled so gently and with so much care. And I feel, you know, I'm sure that some of this comes out of Casey McQuiston's personal experience, but outside of that, you can tell how much they care about providing a safe space and a safe book for for people going through whatever they're going through. Yes. I do want to correct myself. I just looked at my notes. It was Ash, who's non-binary and who is guiding Ash. Smith yeah, yeah, yeah. through this and not Georgia. I just didn't look at my notes when I was doing this. So that's on me. It was Ash. Um, I also appreciate that. Yeah. As you said, like, there's no big, like, we're not hitting barrier gaze. We don't have like a traumatic coming out experience. Casey is just writing like genuinely non-queer focused queer novels, which is something mm-hmm. that we talked about in the It's Gay and It Slaps episode where like a story should not always be like, oh my gosh, they're gay. A story should be a story and sometimes people are gay lesbian bisexual non-binary what have you like diversity is there sometimes they're like a cool bad boy who hides a septum piercing i i'm team rory (laughs) yeah that i can see that (laughs) so i i thought that uh as you said earlier with like well-developed characters these side characters were so well developed and had such rich stories alongside of chloe's hunt for shara that just made the whole novel feel so much realer and better yeah it was good i also you mentioned georgia and i know that it wasn't actually georgia who talked to smith but it did remind me i saved this quote when i was reading and i think i sent it to you but when chloe is visiting georgia at the bookstore for one of the first times there's this quote that i love so much while Georgia rereads Regency classics, Chloe's favorite stories are the ones where the headstrong young woman on a cinematic journey to master her powers falls for the monster who's been antagonizing her all along. Georgia knows this, so she carries a, curates a stack of books behind the counter for Chloe and adds to it every time they get something Chloe might like. She affectionately calls it Chloe's monster fucker collection. And I think I sent that quote to you, Bailey, and was like, I am Chloe. Chloe is me. Yes. And then also looking back on it, having like read the entire... Um, novel you know what what a foreshadowing moment right where the headstrong young woman falls for the monster who's been antagonizing her all along yes very much so i have multiple notes about like the um the monster fucker the horny monsters and then there was also another it's you get horny for books is a very reductive way to describe being interested in literature i laughed out loud (laughs) when chloe came back with that it's uh, really funny. A, a very sassy, funny main character that is enjoyable to read when her inner monologue for things like that. Yes, a hundred percent. I have one other major note that I think I want to move into, um, and this is a little bit of a, a questioning criticism that I alluded to in our messages, but I didn't really get into. So mm-hmm. I went to a Catholic high school. It was conservative. We had a very strict dress code. You could not have any facial piercings. You could not have more than two piercings per year. They had to be under a certain size. Um, 
You couldn't dye your hair. You couldn't paint your nails black. You couldn't even wear gym shoes until I was like a senior. Gym shoes don't look put together, obviously. That's the reason. Um, sure. I, yeah. I, Bailey noticed the question and look on my face because that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. We had like polo um, shirts and skirts and slacks uh, were our uniform options, etc. You couldn't wear certain colored sweatshirts. Um, and all of them had to be like school logoed. Mm-hmm. So with that background in mind, reading some of this stuff about this like southern alabama like conservative catholic school and then reading some of the things that these like kids were doing i did not have that experience there's no way half of the stuff these kids got away with would have flown in a high school like mine and this high school is portrayed to be significantly more like busybody than mine yeah do you have examples to help me kind of visualize so anybody there's no way that like someone could have been non-binary without the administration knowing even if they like never came out to administration like if the students knew it was going to get back to a teacher who was going to get it back to someone and they would have been in trouble Mm -hmm. um their being openly gay was very challenging in the years that i was at school for an openly gay student most people did not come out until after high school because of that i did know a few like out people in high school and um not necessarily from the administration but because of the culture created by the assumption that being gay is a sin there is a lot of bullying there is just um the septum piercing you probably could have gotten away with like if you didn't shave, if you were a man and you did not shave your face, they kept razors at school because you would be sent to the bathroom to shave. Wow. And then get detention. So I just don't necessarily buy that these kids are like able to be as freely expressive as it reads in the novel and then still go to the school that is supposed to be so so like conservative I I mean, honestly, the school would have had an issue with, like, Chloe having two moms. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, it just, I don't know. I am glad that there's a novel that lets people be who they are, even in adverse circumstances, like a conservative school. That was not true to my experience in what is probably something I would think is less conservative than a Southern religious school. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a, you know, that's a perspective from someone who actually had a, at least a similar experience in some ways of the setting. So I totally get where you're coming from. I definitely see what Casey is like trying to do with this layer of complication, because that is another level of pressure and expectation on these teenage characters but it just doesn't like it just doesn't work as well for me because the consequences they face for some of these things don't really feel like the consequences that many kids experience in similar situations yeah totally i'll say that from my perspective not having had that same background i firstly i sort of assumed that 
they weren't being super free with their gender expression at the school. I felt like that was stuff that was happening outside of school. But, you know, I think that you made a really good point about how nobody can keep their mouth shut. Uh, So if somebody knew about Ash, then probably it would have gotten back to them. I also interpreted how they dealt, dealt with or didn't deal with Chloe's moms as they're sort of like, see, we we are not homophobic because we have a student with two moms and then they can continue to be homophobic. Like it felt a very like self-congratulatory, like look how progressive we are without actually having to do anything progressive, which I think feels very accurate. That um, I can agree with. Um, I will say though that you absolutely could and did get punished for things that happened outside of school. Really? Yes. That's so bizarre. Like, my entire class got in trouble for uh, our class t-shirts not on school property. And we were told we were not allowed to wear them off of school property ever again. That's unenforceable, obviously, but, like, we we did all get in trouble for that. And it was because an alumni emailed the administration and said, I saw this shirt, um, and it's inappropriate, and here's why. It was was beer pong. It was beer pong Mind your own business. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's that's what I'm saying. Like, there's this culture that permeates the entire system mm-hmm. um, that means that I just, like, yeah. So, yes, while I agree with you that they definitely can, like, ig- actively ignore Chloe's moms, but also then be a little, like, pat myself on the back because we have Chloe here. Like, there are still other aspects where it just... I don't know. And maybe that's, maybe there are schools where they are nominally super religious and, but the kids don't experience what I experienced. And I'm glad for that. But, um, I don't know. It just didn't feel like that the religious aspect was played to the extent that it would have and could have affected them. Mm-hmm. That 100% makes sense. I think the only other thing that I have to say about the whole, like, setting is that I assume that Casey's point and the the point that at least came, came across to me is that even in areas that are that, like, homophobic and, and toxic and conservative, there are plenty of people who don't fit into those molds and will be more welcoming if you give them the chance, right? You know? When they started planning their um, alternate graduation, I forget what they called it, you know, they didn't think that they would have a big crowd. But then, you know, I feel like the implication was that more people went to anti-graduation than graduation. That was definitely the case. Anti-graduation became much bigger. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I definitely see where it was not fully, like, accurate to your experience. And I assume... You know, I don't know if Casey went to a religious school or anything like that, but I think that the, that like overarching message that you can find people who are, are like you in whatever way you're looking for, no matter where you are, um, came through really well. Maybe that's, maybe that's just what I'm not seeing because I was so focused on how it just didn't, it just wasn't what I expected it to be when they, they say something like that, um, that I just overlooked the potential message. Ooh, also, I am actually on their Wikipedia page, and it says McQuiston has expressed that they write romantic comedies about queer people because they grew up attending a conservative evangelical Christian school 
and they want to write books that they, would have made them feel less isolated as a queer teenager. So I assume that probably their experience was a little bit more closer to yours and that they're doing a little bit of wish fulfillment by loosening up a little bit of the requirements to make it fit the, the setting. That's absolutely more true. And let that, that theme of, of you don't necessarily ha- have to be isolated come through a little bit better. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not trying to like say that this is wrong because it wasn't my experience. I was sure. just saying that it didn't work for me because my experience was different. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's really interesting to hear that perspective um, and learn more about what your high school was like, which every time I learn something new about your high school experience, <laughs> I I just can't handle it, really. It sounds very, very stressful. And like, I thought I had it bad in high school because I went to high school in a really conservative part of the country. Um, but <laughs> at, least, at least it wasn't that bad. We got yelled at because you could see our sports bras underneath our polos. So we got told we had to wear an undershirt. Oh, my God. And um, no, hold on. We didn't have air conditioning. Yeah. So that's why we were like, you know, I would go to soccer practice or like softball practice after school. So I'd wear like my school branded polo and a sports bra. But we'd wear undershirts. And then you, you also your undershirt couldn't be a cutoff because if they could still see that you were wearing like a pink sports bra under your cutoff, then it was like not okay. And also like. For certain sports, your like your cutoff part of your t-shirt couldn't below, go below the bottom line of your sports bra. Mm. Um, that's so bizarre. My favorite genre of my favorite genre of um, punishing women via dress code is is like acknowledging that they have to wear bras, but like you know they'd get mad also if we didn't wear bras. So like, oh no, you can see a bra that you're making us wear like yes Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's, this just in women have boobs wear bras it's shocking to everyone i'm sure yeah it's wild just how like they can have one thing without acknowledging the basis for that thing Mm -hmm. um and that that is all over for uh schools like presumably the one casey attended the one i attended and Luckily, seems to be at least written out in uh, Willow Grove in I Kissed Shara Wheeler. <laughs> uh, and then I also thought, just like on a lighter note, that it was really funny that we have like a freaking admission scandal, especially because it was mm-hmm. so near the end of the book. I just like didn't expect there to be like another little twist. Yeah, I thought that, that was really funny. And I also like that Shara just like completely leaned into blowing her family up because it was the right thing to do slash funny. Yeah. I it, That part I really liked. Um, just that she was like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Except she didn't say fuck because it's a <laughs> YA novel. Whoops. <laughs> Although uh, they did they did save Chloe's monster fucker collection. So there was at least one element okay, one instance true. of the F word. I mean that's really that's that's pretty real. I mean, I wouldn't have ever said like fuck around my like family or at school or whatever, but like hanging out in the backyard around a fire with my friends. Like of course we were all trying out saying things like monster fucker. You know what I mean? Like not actually because <laughs> that wasn't colloquial, but mm-hmm. I was um, gonna say, I'm sure you were specifically saying monster fucker. No. I'm sure we weren't. <laughs> Do you have any like final thoughts about I Kissed Shara Wheeler? Uh, 
I do actually have one more final thought that kind of ties Paper Townsend and Shara Wheeler together. It's a quote that I flagged when I was reading Paper Towns this week that I think just kind of encapsulates that whole like hunt for this like mythical figure. Quentin said he was talking about how each different person like viewed Margot, and he said, A Margot for each of us, and each more mirror than window. I think that that yes. is a really poignant commentary on how we view other people. Absolutely. And I think it's very much uh, carries over into I Kissed Shara Wheeler with the sort of phases Chloe goes through with this this mm-hmm. journey. I feel like we barely talked about any of these like notes or challenges, which whatever. I mean, I th- I feel like that is fine. It really speaks for itself and doesn't require like a lot of talk on our part. I do find it um, like a little fun and unbelievable that Chloe like planned ahead and that like this note that was stuck to the chimney on someone's roof like stayed there for these like weeks they were searching for her or whatever but you know what let it happen maybe she was like sneaking out and adding them because i guess she was just on the boat the whole time yeah she totally could have been i do i feel like this is one of those pieces of media where it feels plot heavy but the plot is just a vehicle for the character relationships Mm -hmm. you know it's like it feels like Casey had these character building beats planned out and like really solidly rooted and was like, we'll just do something absolutely ridiculous in the background to to like get us from point A to point B. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't need anything more than that. <laughs> Rory and Chloe laying in the vent ducts for like two and a half hours waiting for the principal to leave, mm-hmm. but like learning a lot about each other and realizing that like Chloe kind of thought she never had anything in common with Rory, but turns out she she like does actually a lot um but the entire time that she was like describing that they'd been in the vents for two and a half hours i was like did you like pee did you go pee ahead of time or are you just holding it like i would have to pee i would not be able to just like did you pack snacks can they hear you crunching pretzels or am i just old <laughs> well you definitely are just old i will also say that scene where they're trying to sneak into the principal's office um threw me completely out a window because he is listening to Matchbox 20. Um, and they I don't want to talk about, about that part. old person music. I don't want to talk about that part because I was like, when they first said what song was, I was like, fuck yeah, I love that song. And then they were like, his old people music. And I was like, ah, damn it. <laughs> it's like, you, that's so rude. But they, before they said the uh, name of the band, they she read out the lyric, straight up what do you hope to learn about here and i'm like that's matchbox 20 i know that's exactly what i did i was like hell yeah i love this song i texted emily <laughs> and it, yeah um that that moment was uh very brutal um and casey thank you for doing that to all of us because you did it to <laughs> yourself too yeah congratulations this is that's a burn it's like tiktok when it comes for you tiktok came for me a lot this morning um <laughs> So I guess that leaves us with one more like little exciting tidbit we just wanted to end on that's Casey McQuiston adjacent and not necessarily I kissed Shara Wheeler adjacent. Um, They have cast some people for Red, White, and Royal Blue. Yeah, I am so excited. Uh, Katie sent me like before I even had a chance to see it. She was on the internet and I was not. 
And she was like, oh my God, it's here. It's here. I saw Casey Quiston posted a TikTok and it took like three solid minutes for it to register in my brain because it looked like a fan edit, but it was just the actual real cast an- announcement of uh, Taylor Zakar Perez is going to be playing Alex and Nicholas Galatine is going to be playing Henry. And I'm not familiar with either of them, which I actually think is great. Um, but yeah. Taylor was in the kissing bo- booth too. Uh, if you have watched that and nicholas has been in a couple of things but nothing that i have watched yeah i kind of left those in there because i was like maybe that'll give us some reference but i don't recognize either of those names uh but looking at the tiktok Mm -hmm. that casey put out like they seem absolutely perfect to me for these characters like have you seen have you seen the pictures that were released of them like rehearsing where uh, Taylor is like kind of like laying all over Nicholas, and it's like, oh, that that just is Alex and Henry. No, I haven't. Um, Hang on, I'll find the, the okay. pictures. Okay, I was gonna say we've like approached. To me, we've like approached Heartstopper level. This cast is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I actually, honestly, I was a little worried. Is not quite the right word, but they look almost too much. Like, they're they're full-grown fucking adults, you know what I mean? Like, they're not... Yeah. I think we're so used to, or at least I'm so used to, watching shows about about high schoolers, but the high schoolers are played by adults, but the adults look, like, almost plausibly like they could be in high school, and, like, these are men. Yeah, but, I mean, the characters are, like, older. Like... Yeah. Yeah. It it totally, it totally fits, it's just, it, my brain did a, did, like, a factory reset trying to yeah i mean that's true especially because the last couple things that we've been like pretty excited about have been like younger characters but this is these are adult characters played by adults and that's always better than when we've got like a 23 year old playing a high schooler Mm -hmm. we have more casting announcements uh we have uma thurman is gonna play ellen claremont which is so perfect i'm so excited yes and then they've announced some more people who have joined the cast but have not fully, um, they haven't said specifically what roles they'll be playing, but I'm pretty sure Stephen Fry is going to be in it, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be uh, the guy running against Ellen. I think he's going to be like the oh my God. old conservative dude. Yeah. That would be hilarious. Um, and then I think Sarah Shahi is going to be... Uh, Zara. Okay. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. I mean, hopefully we find out soon, but so far, I mean, it sounds good. I think Amazon has put out some really good stuff. I've, I had some issues like with Wheel of Time, but I think those had less to do with like Amazon's production and more to do with the challenges faced of converting Wheel of Time to like a television series. Sure. And just condensing that amount of content, whereas, like, Red, White, and Royal Blue has the amount of content that's going to make a movie, and, like, without an insane amount of change or cutting or anything like that. So, um, I flipped out when Katie sent me the TikTok because I'm (laughs) so excited that we get another adaptation. Again, just another adaptation of something we fucking loved so much. Okay, hang on. I found the picture that I was gonna. Yes. I'm gonna just send it to you so we can get your live reaction, um, and then, and we can call it a day, probably. Okay, send. 
Oh, okay. You sent it via Twitter. I had like the chat open in the. Oh. That's okay. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Okay. So one of them, Henry, is like you know sitting up in the chair, you know like um properly not fully properly but you know not nearly as relaxed as Alex, who is slouched and then in the second set is just like leaning over and like half reading over henry's shoulder which yes you're right it's just like very indicative of those characters Mm -hmm. so i'm really excited to actually see them play these these characters like in real life me too i'm excited for the whole thing to come to life all right i just liked that message on twitter because you got to thanks i appreciate the validation anytime with that, I guess this brings us to the end of another episode of Pros Tinted Glasses. Yeah, and uh, you know that we know when to end things because we are right. And we should say it. Pour yourself a glass of wine. Let's start reading in between the lines Never know what we might find Yeah, it could be magic